It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck, and welcome everybody in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. I am Mike Vaccaro, and usually behind the scenes, but in front of the camera today, it's our creator, producer, director, JR Quitman. And uh, JR, you're in front of the camera because we've got a big announcement, big things happening for our show here as uh, we have partnered with CLNS Media Network, a group out of Boston, and trying to continue to really grow this show, what we started over a year ago. And uh, certainly exciting times for you and I to be able to partner with uh, a high-quality network and, and a group that puts out a lot of podcasts, quality podcasts out there. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a good feeling, man. It's, it's really exciting. It feels good to... Um, <clears throat> for someone to want to see our product and you know what I mean? And, and want to get behind us and help us grow. And that's what it's all about. We just want to get these interviews out to everybody to as many people as we can. Cause you know, we just, they're good stories. They're good stories of people who made it to the top and how they got there and maybe their words of encouragement and everything can help the next person, the next generation want to get there. And um, joining this group, joining this media group, joining this network is, is definitely going to help us out with that. Yeah, our thanks to Nick Kelso and uh, the, their group. Again, CLNS uh, Media Network do a lot of stuff with the Boston Celtics and, and other groups in the Northeast. But, again, a number of podcasts. And through Cedric Maxwell's podcast is, is kind of how we got connected with them. So it, it's just ironic sometimes how, how things happen. You're looking for a guest, and, and these folks kind of found our show. So, uh, again, I know, Jr. You and I want to thank our, our current listeners, viewers, subscribers, those who have kind of kept us going here for over a year as we continue to bring these these guests out there. Oh, no doubt, man. No doubt. We we wouldn't be here without that support for sure. Like it's it's been huge. It's been huge to <clears throat> to keep it going when, you know, sometimes we might have felt like who nobody might be watching or you know what I mean, or whatever, but <clears throat> somebody apparently was and that's why we're here today, for sure. All right. So, again, that's our big announcement. Now partnering with CLNS Media Network and and hopefully, again, a chance to continue to grow our show. But, uh, again, we thank you, myself and, and JR, as always. Well, that leads into uh, one of JR's favorite players, our guest here today, right? This yeah. is a guy that made JR want to be an offensive lineman, want to change his number when he was at NC State, and he's a good one here. Walter Jones, the Hall of Fame offensive lineman from the Seattle Seahawks, is our guest in episode 48, and he's a guy who grew up in a small town in Alabama, went to Florida State, high draft pick by the Seahawks, played his entire career there, and we talk about that, his entire journey, and we get into some great things that he's doing right now with the passing of his great friend, another Hall of Famer, Cortez Kennedy, who played for the Seattle Seahawks. He has kind of taken the torch for him and kept it alive, and we talk a little bit about mental health with what he's doing, Check 96, what he does on a yearly basis. So, uh, Jr. again, a great guest. I know you're going to enjoy this one as well. It is Big Walt, Walter Jones. He is our guest in Episode 48 of In the Front Row. Well, first of all, again, uh, Walter, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, you know, truth be told, we had some technical issues last time we tried to do this, so you decided that uh, you're going to come back on. I, I can't thank you enough for having the patience to, to join us once again to do this. Uh, no problem. Appreciate it. As we were talking last time, you know, let's start at the beginning for you because I had a chance to, to watch your, your Pro Football Hall of Fame induction speech, and it was all about family. Aliceville, mm -hmm. Alabama. Tell us about Aliceville, Alabama, what it was like for you growing up there and, and how much your family was, was involved in, in what you were doing growing up. 
you know, growing up in a, a household of eight with a single uh, mom, uh, I was the baby of the group. So you know how that goes. You, you get hand-me-downs. But from a standpoint of family, I thought my family was uh, very close-knit together. Um, at that time, you didn't know, you know, that's how we was living. So we didn't, like I tell people all the time, I said, I really didn't understand how broke we was until I kind of left home. You know what I'm saying? My mom did a great job of making sure that we had everything we needed, you know, going through school, you know, it kind of, I guess it's kind of like humbleize you, even when you do get blessed to, to get into money, you understand where you came from. So for me personally, I felt like uh, my hometown was a very small town where you knew everybody, but um, my family supported me. I, I would say my family supported me when I decided to uh, chase football. You know, I think my family didn't, with my mom, I had a brother that got hurt playing football, broke his leg. And my mom was very, you know, she like, I can't afford it. I got to get him back and forth to the doctor. So she was like, no more football. So, you know, there wasn't a, a father figure there in the home that was kind of pushing you to play football. So it was something that I never, it was something that it wasn't shown to me until I was a freshman in high school. So when I became a freshman in high school and I, the, the school had signed up a new uh, football coach and and all of a sudden, you know, that kind of changed my life. You know, he was, the team was bad and he didn't have a good team. So he was just walking um, on campus, just trying to find kids that wanted to play. And he saw me and kind of asked me, did I want to come out? And I was like, hey, my mom said we can't play. I said, if you can convince my mom, uh, I would definitely try it out. So she, he convinced my mom and, and that's how I got introduced to football and how things changed in my life. Well, again, your mom, single mom, I'm sure she was working a lot. And you, you mentioned you're the youngest of the, the other siblings. Were the other siblings the ones that kind of helped raise you a little bit and, and kind of showed you the way a little bit? I think so. I think, I, I, you know, the way that it was, the way that it was kind of set up, it was pretty cool. Like I had four like sisters and brother that was uh, older, that was kind of like in high school. So it was kind of like, it was one of those things where, you know, your mom would leave and like, don't open the door for anybody, but you know, you kind of was, like you say, you had the older kids, but still, again, those are the ones like my oldest brother, you know, I kind of like look at him as my father figure because he was the one that was preparing food, making sure we had our clothes on, getting ready for school because mom was working. So for him, I, you know, he's the one that, that really kind of, I, I would say mold me into who I am today, but you know, I'm very close with all my sisters and brothers. We, we, you know, we, we was, we never had a phone. So we never was put in that situation. Now you see a lot of people, Oh, I talk to my mom every day, but we never had, you know, so it was one of those things where mom said, if you ain't, if I'm not talking to you, that means things are going good. When we're talking on the phone too much, that means something is going on, but you know, we didn't got a lot better at that. Now talking on the phone, you know, with everything, you know, you get older and stuff like that. But from a standpoint of, we had to always check in with mom. It wasn't that my mom knew that we was out trying to accomplish things, but I would say my sister and brother did a great job. You know, I think as I got older and I, I was chasing this dream, I thought that, that they really, cause you know, at that time coming from a rural town, they don't really understand what's going on. You know, it's almost like you're telling them what's going on and they just, it just doesn't comprehend because you don't have anyone that's, you know, showing that light, you know, it's all about staying locally, you, you work at the local meal, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you can get trapped into that. That's all, you know, you know, if you don't know anything else, that's all, you know, you're thinking this is all that's out there. So for me, I thought my, my family did a great job of, 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 of traveling too. I got a chance to go visit places like Chicago, places. So I, I start seeing like, okay, there's, there's things outside of this this rural area. So for me personally, I thought my family did a great job of that.
Yeah, there's more beyond Aliceville, Alabama, as you said there. And, it, you know, again, you got introduced to football. What was your first reaction when you started playing football? Because, again, you're a bigger guy. I'm sure you're, you're mm -hmm. on the offensive line doing some different things. You're getting hit a lot. You know, what, what was your first thought uh, of, uh, of football once you started playing it? You know what? It's one of those things where uh, once you get introduced to it, you know, I think coaches can kind of see the potential. Uh, for me personally, I thought, you know, he, he kind of uh, took me on his wing and kind of saw things that he didn't see in other kids on the field. You know, he kind of played a bit. My coach played a little semi-pro ball, so I'm assuming he understood, you know, the potential of a player or, or, or a kid. And, you know, once he took me out on the field and kind of take me through drills at the time, I was still trying to figure out, you know, what position I want to play. You know, literally in high school, you're playing every down anyway. So and then I started out as a tight end and I, and I played defensive end. So I honestly didn't start playing offensive lineman until I got the Juco. And but, you know, we, we ran the option. So I would just say just a, a over, overload right side. So I didn't catch that many passes. So I was. I was, I guess my coach would prepare me to be an offensive tackle. And, and you know what I, I tell people all the time, I said, once he introduced me to it, it came very easy. It was very, I would say very intoxicating for me. Like it was just like just something I wanted to do. And then when he, um, he gave me a, a videotape, it was, a. uh, Anthony Munoz had like an instructional video back then of VHS, you know, a lot of young kids don't know about <laughs> that, but you know, he handed me this tape and he told me, he said, Hey, uh, just watch this, you know, just watch it. This guy can, you know, and I thought I watched, I watched this tape until I was, it, it just stopped running. You know, it was something that it really, really helped me get into football and learn the game. And, you know, to this day, I still see this guy as, you know, even, you know, we both hall of famers. Yeah. That's, you know, somebody had asked me a couple of days ago about like, who makes you nervous when you be around him? I said, he does. I said, because <laughs> this is the guy that I tried to say, this is the guy I want to be like, this is the person I want to be like. So for me to be able to take that, you know, not ever meeting this person and taking that and being introduced to it. And I think, that's when I said, okay, I'm throwing all my eggs in this basket. This is what I want to do. So that's how it all kind of happened for me. That's great. He's kind of your goat. He's kind of your Michael Jordan, right? He's Anthony <laughs> Munoz when you're an offensive lineman and uh, you become a Hall of Famer. Well, yeah. again, it, it, as you said, the, you know, from high school, you went to junior college. Last time you and I talked, you said that the grades were the big reason. You had the talent, certainly, uh, but the grades kind of kept you out of maybe some, some bigger offers, bigger schools. You go to Holmes Community College in Mississippi, uh, was that a good learning experience for you as far as, hey, you know, it takes being the student as well as a, the athlete part of it as well? Uh, I think so. I think, uh, you know, I was I came in that period where, you know, it was all about, you know, I was literally on the on the cusp of when it was like, you know, you know, you heard rumors or of kids that was just getting passed through because they was a great athlete. And I came along right when it started getting real tight. You know, you, you have to, it wasn't about what you do on the football field, it's about what you do in the classroom. But for me personally, I thought mine was more of a, a rebellious against my mom. It was more of a, cause my mom had worked so hard for the, the, the first four kids. And then when it seemed like it came to me, I think she was just kaput tired. And, and I kind of like, was like, you know, okay, this is what, you know, be, you know, me being a, I guess an overthinker, I think. And I just thought like, okay, you don't want to help me. So why should I do it? So when I went to school, I wouldn't do nothing. I'll go there. I play all day and I was playing with my friends, but and then I just realized one day that my friends are leaving me and I'm getting held back because I'm thinking that they sitting up playing with me, but they're doing their work. And then I just realized, I was like, man, I got to get myself together. And, and that's when I started doing my schoolwork. And, and I, I said to myself, I said, I put myself behind the eight ball. So now when I talk to young kids, now I always tell them, I said, 
you want to, if this is something that you want to chase or, you know, you probably, probably your eighth grade year or your freshman year, you kind of figure and thinking like, okay, I make it play somewhere else. But a lot of times kids don't understand that your freshman year can affect what happened your senior year. So, you know, cause it's all a cumulative grade. So it's all about what you do in those four years. And so I try to express that to a lot of kids, you know, no matter what you can do on the football field, if you don't have your grades, ain't no school going to look at Cause there's too many athletes out there. There's too many kids that want this dream. So if you don't get your schoolwork, so for me personally, it was a total learning lesson for me. But for me personally, I, like I said, I didn't start playing football till I was a freshman in high school. And, and then I played my three years and I, my junior year would have been my last year of playing ball. So my coach figured a way that I could take my 11th grade courses and I was taking my 12th grade courses by uh, correspondence. So basically, you know, I was like, when I, when I tell you I put my eggs in a basket, I did, I, I cut out everything because I didn't have time to do anything but play football, go to school, night school at night. So you got to think about how much you was putting into that. So for me, and then once I got a chance to a school to look at me, and then I went to JUCO. I thought JUCO was uh, uh, just another, uh, I call it football seasoning for me personally. So it gave me an opportunity to play at another level of football where it's not so high profile. So now whatever you do, it's not going to be plastered all over TV or in the newspaper. So for me personally, it definitely helped me to, to continually uh, chasing the dream of playing football so me personally I tell people all the time my two years of JUCO was the best time of my life because it was my first time away from home and and learning a game meeting other people you know people that are chasing that same dream so for me I thought JUCO was the best time for me anyway so well it was a great time athletically for you 1994 you're the Mississippi Junior College Player of the Year offensive tackle tight end you only allowed one sack <laughs> there as well again was that kind of in your mindset okay you know I'm ready for the next level and what was it like you know when the the, the power five schools the division one schools started coming calling for you you know it, it changed it you know I was uh, when I like I said I had my grade issue so when I was uh doing my recruiting and stuff I literally had to do it myself because I wasn't my name went on the list so I got an opportunity to go down to Florida State for a summer camp and this is like kind of when I put myself out there, I did a highlight reel, I did a, a full game. And from that point on, uh, Florida State was interested from day one, but they was like, well, if you can get your grades or you can get out on time, we will love you. So so I kind of stuck with Florida State. I was gonna do whatever they told me to do uh, on, on that point. So they helped me find my JUCO because I was kind of late behind the ball. So. And basically, it was more uh, what what school would take me. So when when they when they decided to find me JUCO Holmes Community College, um, they didn't know what they had scholarship wise. It was more of a, a meet and greet. And as they see me, they like me. So literally, I went to met Holmes Junior College coach and sat in there, talked to him for a little bit. And you know, he didn't he didn't watch he didn't watch no film or nothing. He, you know, I'm assuming he think okay, he's coming from Florida State or Florida State sitting this kid. This kid's got to be okay. And and soon as I, um, soon as I got there, probably for an hour talking to the coach, and he was like, "I got a scholarship for you." <laughs> and I asked him, I said, uh, "So you didn't watch any film? Why would you give me a scholarship?" He said, "You passed the eyeball test." So that's kind of how it all started for me, and kind of like how it all started for me. I got, like I said, I got an opportunity to, to continue playing football and learn how to play football too. So it was, it was a fun time for me. Well, again, something probably your mom did right. You, you, you passed the eye test there from, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, being a good kid and, and uh, looking the part as well. So certainly, you know, Bobby Bowden saw something in you. What was it like when you eventually got to Florida State playing for the Seminoles, playing for such a legendary coach? It was, it was awesome. I think when I went there for, uh, for uh, 
for a camp, I was I was hooked in. You know, he he was kind of like, uh, you know, he's from Alabama, so that kind of kind of gave you a connection there. But from the standpoint of the type of the man he was, uh, I remember the one thing I always remember. You know, he came and met my mom. We didn't have much or nothing, and my mom tried. You know, he came in and. You know, whatever my mom was giving, he was taking it and care what it was. So he kind of was, you know, just basically assuring, you know, your your mom that, you know, when he come when he come here, he's going to be this. And he's when he leave that, he's going to be that. And my mom's like, I'm giving you to him. So I'm coming to you if something goes wrong. So from that standpoint, I thought that was cool. And then when I definitely got to Florida State and, you know, I met my family, I was walking out of practice one day and, you know, he's Bobby Bounds. So, you know, as a player, you don't ever think that you're going to have this one-on-one moment with this person. And literally, I was walking on the field for practice. And he walked up to me and, you know, there was kind of like a couple of months in. He was like, hey, well, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. And uh, he was like, he just asked me about all my brothers and sisters. I'm talking about literally name for name. So I'm like, wow. and I'm like looking behind him, like he got to have somebody behind him telling him all this. But you no, know, he asked me all that. From that point, I, 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 I gained so much respect because, you know, you as a coach like that, you know, at practice, you know, you got all his assistants. He's up in the ladder. You know, he's looking down on you. So you're never thinking that this person is, is, in, is intertwined as much as he is, but he really is. So for me personally, that's when you like you want to play for a coach like that that really respect you and understand where you came from too though. So for me, that made me want to play there and want to play for him too. And it was a great time for Florida State. Your junior year that was 1996. You helped lead Florida State to the the Sugar Bowl, right? In 1997 mm-hmm. Sugar Bowl. Uh, unfortunately, you lost to the Florida Gators. One of our previous guests, Danny Warfel, was the quarterback and the MVP of that, that that Sugar Bowl. But what was that experience like that season? Did you guys go into the year thinking? Hey, we have something special here. We can get all the way to the national championship. I think so. I think when we came out, you know, it was one of those things. Like my first year, uh, I didn't play there. I redshirted my first year at Florida State, so I didn't play. I was, you know, when you redshirt, what happens? You put, you practice every day, but you just don't play. So the next year, uh, the two tackles that was playing. It was their time. You know, you literally at Florida State, it's all about putting your time in. You know, you got you might be there for four years, but you might not get for two years of starting time. So now when these these two tackles that had waited their turn and it was their time to start, but they had me in the background. So it's like, what do we do with Walter? So literally, like a lot of I don't know, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but my year that I played there, I was rotating with three other tackles. So even, you know, like wasn't even starting the game, I was rotating. You know, uh, I'll go in for the left tackle after the second series. Then I go in for the right tackle. Then he'll come in for me. So it was just a reversal. So a lot of people don't even understand that. That that literally, I didn't even have a start job at Florida State. I was just, you know, and honestly, I was literally, my goal was to get to Florida State to win a championship because that's what Bobby Bob promised me. You come here, you're going to have a chance to win one or be able to play in one. So, and all that stuff came true to me. But uh, the thing about me leaving was that, um, a lot, you know, a lot of agents, when they go see guys that are high profile guys, they'll ask if a guy would decide to come out, who would be that guy? And everybody said Walter Jones. If Walter Jones decided to come out, he's going to, you know, at that time, I wasn't thinking like that. I was just like, I got to play some football. I got to get some stuff on tape. So I wasn't even thinking about the NFL at that time. I was just thinking about becoming a great player at Florida State. Not starting, but you're still second team all ACC. <laughs> so you were doing something right in the, in the limited maybe reps that you had. So Okay, so you go through the, the the Sugar Bowl, the season ends. At one point, you obviously did think about the NFL. When, when did that happen? When did things change in your mind and, and you decided, okay, I'm going to forgo my, my senior season because, you know, I've got an opportunity here at the next level? 
You know, when I that, that honestly happened, it happened mid-season. You know, they did. I don't know if they even do it now, but I remember back then they used to do a a a, a, a draft. You know, like every position draft, uh, who you know who would go. And you know, when I walked into the locker room, the guys were looking. I'm, I'm guessing these guys been there a long time, so they understand that this list come out every year per position. So they was and literally when I was walking through the locker room, they was like looking at. I don't know if it was the running backs or it was some little kids. I, I was saying it was DBs or something. They were looking. And they was just, when I walked through, they was like, oh, let's see what they say about Big Walt. And I was like, man, come on. I was like, dude, I'm rotating. I'm like, there's no way. You know, I'm thinking like, and then they was like, they went when they went to the left tackles, the offensive linemen, uh, it was uh, Orlando Pace at number one. And they had me at number two. And that's when it clicked to me like, okay, this is something that I'm doing something right. And honestly, I still wasn't, you know, I'm like, come on. I'm like, I'm not playing enough to, to think about going to the NFL, but my name was started to go around and stuff like that. Then that's when I really thought thinking about it and Asians start talking to you, you're trying to make a decision, but I was just want to like, I just want to win this championship, man. Like, let me win this and let me think about it. So, and I honestly didn't really think about it until I didn't make my decision until I got back out of, out of sugar. Cause I didn't know what I wanted to do. Cause I, I remember this was the one, this is the pressure that you got put on. Like, yeah. you know, there was rumors around that, that say, okay, Walt is thinking about coming out. So after we lost that championship game, you know, as soon as we got done with the game and we was in, you know, do the talk, Bobby Bow got up and stood up and said, hey, I know some guys thinking about coming out, but hey, we're going to have some great tackles next year. We can come back and win this thing. And I was like, man, that's, that's some hot pressure. So I didn't know, like, man, this will be my opportunity to win one. And so I went back to school. I really didn't know what I, I was. I knew the date that I had to make a decision to, to come out, but I still didn't know. And I tell people, this is what got me to come out. I was in class and the, the teacher was, the professor was talking about a paper was due. And, you know, when you get out for the bowl games, you're out for like a month and a half. So yeah. you're not doing no schoolwork. And literally when he said a paper is due on Friday and it was like Tuesday <laughs> and I hadn't had nothing, no notes or nothing. So, you know, you, you get out of school for the, for the holidays. You're just all about football, get a chance to meet your family. You're not even thinking about stuff like that. And that was my decision to come out because I didn't have a paper. I'm like, I'm not, I'm going to fail this class if I don't have this paper. So that's why I, that was my 70, 30 of staying in school or going out that I had a paper due on Friday and I made a decision like, okay, this is my opportunity. I'm out. So. I left school. So in the end, the professor is to blame for the great success that you had as, a, as a, an NFL offensive I know, tackle, right? right? You know, it, it was one of those things where you had to make a decision. Like you say, this is my, this is my opportunity. This is what I did this all for this opportunity right here. Do, do I do it or do I stay? And I said to myself, uh, Orlando Pace can only go to one team. That's 32 <laughs> teams. So, you know, I just wanted to get my foot in the door. So I, I took a leap of faith and, I, I can't look back now. I think I made the right choice. Sixth overall pick for the Seattle Seahawks. What did you know about the Seattle Seahawks or even Seattle at that time? <laughs> I knew a little bit about Seattle. I had a, my sister used to come out here a long time ago when I was younger. I remember she used to go out with friends and stuff. But I knew a little bit about Seattle, but never been to Seattle. And then, you know, when I was getting recruited, you know, going to visit school, visit teams, um, I didn't think about Seattle. I, I, my, I thought I was going to go to Oakland. I thought Oakland was going to be the team that I was going to go to because I went to, out to Oakland and they laid out the red tape, like met everybody. And when I got done with that, I was leaving. I was getting ready to go back home. My agent called me and said, hey, I need for you to take a Detroit. I need you to go up to Seattle. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I went out to Seattle. The only person I met was uh, Howard Mudd. And nobody was there. It was dark. Nobody was there. He walked, he kind of literally, all he did was walk me into his office, asked me about a play I played in college, asked me what I was thinking and what I was doing on that. I told him what I was doing. I kind of gave him the gist of it. 
and he was fine with that. And then we walked around, saw the complex, you know, this one that was in Kirkland. So it wasn't nothing really, you know, to really show, but, you know, it was still a professional team. And when I left there, my agent comes, he think you're going to go to, I said, no, I said, well, nobody there. He said, what do you mean? I said, the only person I met was the O-line coach. That was it when nobody there. And so I honestly didn't even put them on the radar until I got drafted by them. So, but it was the best thing that ever happened because I was able to come here and play football and not worry about tickets and, you know, be a part of something great here in Seattle. I was able to play my entire career here. So, you know, it, it worked out for me. And now I call Seattle home. Yeah, obviously it, it, it stuck. Uh, in 1997 <laughs> to 2009, started 180 games for, for the Seahawks. You started with Dennis Erickson as your head coach and then went to Mike Holmgren after that adjustments there going from one coach to another and did you you know were you seeing the business side of football when, when those coaching changes occurred you know what I I, I never did look at it like that you know being a young kid you never think about that stuff you know you understand that you get drafted so high so that tells you the team is pretty bad uh for me personally at that time I was still young so it wasn't like I was just so embedded to what Dennis Edgerton was doing and then still at that same time I think in like the year before uh, that's when they was thinking about the, the team moving to California. Mm -hmm. So at that point, you know, think about me, I'm, 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 I left Alabama, I left Tallahassee, I come out to Seattle. Then the first thing, the first year or so you hear, Oh, we thinking about moving to California. So I'm thinking like, you know, that's the, that's all I see on TV move. I'm going back to Cali. I'm going to Cali. Like, okay, <laughs> I want to go to Cali. I wasn't, I didn't want to be part of the people saying, Hey, keep the team here. Cause I wasn't there long enough to say, Hey, let's, I didn't know enough about Seattle to be like, okay, let's go to, let's go to Cali. Like, that's great. But, you know, it didn't happen, and, and I entered, and we got Coach Hong, and I thought the cool thing about Coach Hong was that, you know, he was a proven winner, and I think that was good for the team, and, you know, I thought everybody bought in and what he wanted to do. You know, he said, if you do what I tell you to do, you'll get to a Super Bowl, and he was able to, to help us do that and to kind of change the standard of playing football there in Seattle. So I think the standard is set right now, the, uh, you know, uh, being uh, a reliable player uh, uh, contender every year. I think that's something that, you know, this city is definitely, you know, to put the pressure on. And I think it's, it's good for the city. And, you know, like I tell people all the time, I say, if the Seahawks win, we all win. So, uh, you know, I'm hopefully looking for good things from this team. And But it's good to be able to say I, I play for the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, it, it definitely did shift. Like, like you said, with Mike Holmgren there, proven winner, took you guys to the Super Bowl. And for you, again, an offensive lineman, you had some great people behind you. You're right. Quarterbacks, Warren Moon, uh, Matt Hasselbeck, obviously, who, who led you guys to the Super Bowl, Ricky Waters, Sean Alexander, MVP year that, that you were blocking for him. What was it like and what is it like when you have that talent behind you? It makes the game so much easier, you know, when you got people that are, uh, are chasing the same thing. You know, I think for us in that team, everybody was wanted the same thing. I think everybody wanted to be, you know, uh, know everything. You know, I tell people all the time I can remember when things kind of flip for the team, when everybody, well, you know, sometimes when you're on the field, you get caught up in that you're making sure you don't mess up for the team. You don't mess up for the coaches, but from a standpoint of making sure that we're all on the same page, because we wanted to make sure no matter what the coaches call, we, we see what we, we block what we see. And if everybody's not on the same page, it don't work. So literally we all got together as one team and start figuring out, okay, if we see this bliss and we see this look, this is what we call. So honestly, like when people start seeing, like it seemed like it was just easy to do, that showed that we was all on the same page. We knew why Matt was checking the ball. We knew this. So it was pretty cool. And for me personally, you know, like, you know, to be in the huddle with some guys, I was in a huddle with Warren Moon, uh, like you say, Ricky Waters. I was in a room with, uh, what, uh, Jerry Rice, you know, even at, at our older 
age, he still was a, a true professional. So to get a chance to see people that put the same amount of work in, you know, that want to be great. And for me, like you said, I had a chance, you know, you know, even without the quarterback, you think about the offensive linemen that I got a chance to, to got a chance to watch and learn from Howard Ballard, Brian Abib, you know, there's so many guys, man. So that I was totally blessed to be able to come in the league at a certain time where that was not saying there's not that now, but I think for me personally, when I came in the game, it was so many guys that I could watch and see how to be a professional. So for me personally, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, avid of making sure you have older guys around the younger guys because no matter how much money you give these kids they still have to be able to know what to do have to watch somebody that been through it so I thought that was cool for me to be able and then with all the old llamas that I had a chance to watch when I was playing uh, Orlando Pace um, Jonathan Ogden you know Willie Rose there were so many guys with my era that that played the game the right way yeah, it was a great era, as you said, for offensive linemen that you yep. included, obviously. Uh, 2005, let's talk about that, because what a year it was. Uh, again, I told you last time I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, so it was a great okay. season get to the Super Bowl. And again, you had Sean Alexander as the MVP that year. To see what he did and, and to know that you were a big part of that, is that kind of a point of pride for you when people talk about Sean Alexander, who just got in, inducted into the ring of honor there for Seattle? Oh, totally. I think it's, I think for us as offensive linemen, that's what we, 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 we put our hat on, on what our quarterback do and what our running back do. So for me to be able to say that I was able to be part of an MVP season with a running back, is pretty awesome. Um, you can't deny the offensive line that he played behind, but you know, still Sean was a proven, uh, a proven football player. You know, you got to think about where he came from. You know, he was the number one guy out of Kentucky or Cincinnati, wherever he's from. And he went to Alabama, was able to do that. So, I think Sean was a proven running back and, and definitely showed it when he came to Seattle. You know, he was definitely worthy of the pick and was able to do some great things while he was in Seattle. 2005, the 30th anniversary of the, the franchise there. 13-3 and three regular season, you get into the playoffs. What's going through the minds of you and the, the rest of your teammates? You, did you feel like this was a Super Bowl contending team at that time? Oh, totally. I think it was after the uh, Washington game that year. We played Washington and we came back in the game and we lost it on a kick field, a field goal. And I think that's when everything clicked for us and then things just started coming so easy. Like, I think we was the number one team and starting like at the 20 and taking every time we got on the 20, we drove. So they, it was so much fun. And then for me personally, you know, you're being on a bad team and seeing how hard it is to get there. And then, then you get to a point where you're the number one seed and then you see how easy it is because now you're getting two home games. As long as you win, you're in. So it's like one of those things like, man, I see why all these other teams, these great teams was able to consist, but they just, they, they had a taste of it, you know? So you, if you don't ever have a taste of it, you don't know. So you got these teams that, okay, you're, if you're a number one or number two team, you get a bye. And now you got to play but two games to get to the Super Bowl. That's easy. So I thought like, if you don't never get a chance to witness that you don't understand. So until you get to that moment where, you know, now you understand what it's all about records and making sure you're the number one seed, because when you're the number one or number two seed, or, uh, you know, it's pretty easy for you, but still, you know, you get a, a six seed or whatever and get hot and, you know, win, but still, again, I think once I got to that point, I realized like, man, we were so far off, but now we here. So forever to be able in, in that moment, you know, to be able to say that I was part of a team that, was the first team to get to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't win it. But still, again, I thought it was amazing for the city. And I think it kind of put the city on the map. I'm not saying Seattle was never on the map, but I think once you get to that threshold of uh, being a contender, 
then it changes for everybody. So, and then, you know, the, the team, the winning in 14 was pretty amazing for me too, because that's the year I got into the hall of fame. So it was all good for me, you know, bittersweet, but still a cool situation. Yeah. I mean, so many players play in the NFL, they don't even get to the Super Bowl. You got there. Unfortunately, you, you did lose. What, what was that game like? Cause I know, you know, again, as a fan, there were some, some calls <laughs> here and there. Do, do, you, do you look back at that? Have you watched that game since 2005 at all? You know what? I've never watched the complete game. I never, you know, I saw bits of it. Uh, I think for me personally, that game happened so fast. Mm -hmm. It was over so fast. And then you just don't realize what you, you know, you didn't, for me personally, I didn't take in the actual Super Bowl. Like I was just so focused on just winning. And I said to myself, if I ever get back, I'm going to enjoy the moment. Because, you know, a lot of times you hear the, the weird thing, you know, I heard it before when guys used to say, like, you know, the, the big game is the NFC championship game because you put so much effort to get there. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's then when you get there to the Super Bowl, it's a whole different, that's a whole different game. You know what I'm saying? So I totally can, 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 can relate to that part of, you know, that the fact that that NFC championship game is probably a bigger game than the Super Bowl because now it's all about, you know, TV stuff and blah, blah, blah. That's a lot going on. And I tried to to stay in that for frame of, but, and I didn't take in, okay, I'm at the Super Bowl. And I think that's the only thing that I hate about it. But from a standpoint of the calls and stuff, I, I always say to myself that we just didn't have to play a good game. You know, we deal with calls throughout the whole season, even though there was some bad, bad calls. Uh, but still, again, I felt like we as a, the team that we was going into the Super Bowl, we didn't play that way. We didn't do what we want. Like, no matter what team wanted to do, though, we had an answer for it. So we just had a bad day. I tell people, like, this movie, any given Sunday. And that was a Sunday. And it was a it was a home game for the Pittsburgh Steelers, too, though. But still, again, I thought that we was the better team, but we just wasn't a, a good team that day. And, and Pittsburgh came out with the win. As you said, it's tough to kind of – enjoy the moment when you're in that moment it's maybe not until afterwards years later as you guys get together probably as former teammates that, that you mm -hmm. can look back and maybe enjoy what the Super Bowl was for you right oh totally you know I think it it, it puts in perspective uh, when you see pictures or you see stuff that happened that year uh, you you get a chance to reminisce on that stuff now you know we you know, I think uh, for, for, for players, I think we always have that conversation with the 05 team, beat the 14 team. You know, I think it's fun to, to know that stuff, but, you know, you can never happen. But, you know, I think every team or every player, they believe in their team. So, you know, I would never say, oh, no, that team was way better than ours. No, we was the better team. Even though you, you guys won the Super Bowl, we have to get that to you guys. But still, I feel like that team we had in 05 was a pretty good team. So, but – Still, again, you 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 take those lumps and you keep rolling. You know, it's it's one of the, it's one of the fun things that that you can be a part of. And and I was able to I'm able to say that I was a part of Seattle to get a chance to see this team. You know, to see the fans crying and being being able to put all that you know that blood, sweat, and tears. That's why I always tell people embrace the moment, have fun because you know once that if the team don't do as good and people are mad but still and again i tell people all the time that's the point that makes it so much fun when you see people crying because they put so much yeah. effort into this game or uh the fanfare into this game and then once your team figure it out it's so much it's so much fun to see that so enjoy the the moment enjoy the hard times too because those are ones that's going to make you feel so amazing when you do see that they figure it out and win it again yeah, as you said, the franchise has had a, a lot of hard times. You know, mm -hmm. for you again, uh, great career, two thousand and five. Then two thousand and eight, you get injured Thanksgiving Day at Dallas, and 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 that was an injury that unfortunately, for all intents and purposes, ended your career. Uh, up until that point, had you dealt with many injuries? 
Uh, not at all. You know, that was a tough one for me because I was trying to make a decision on that. You know, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't play in that Thursday game uh, because I was dealing with, I tweaked it in the game before. And I always say being a gladiator, you know, you're trying to, because it was a Thursday night game. So you're thinking like, okay, get through this game. And then you get like a mini bye week. So now you can treat it. But I was overcompensating something else. And then I had a flare up and it was just a bad situation. But, you know, I think as players, we, you know, now I think the NFL does a great job of protecting guys in that situation. Or like, you know, you think if you talk to people now, they're like, man, you shouldn't play. You know, you're not thinking that when you're playing the game. So you want to be there for your team and all that stuff. So, but, you know, I think, uh, it's true when they say, you know, you can leave the game or the game, you know, you're going to injure, you're going to leave the game. So and nine times out of 10, it's going to be something where you can't play it again. Cause I feel like if anybody could, if you can play it forever, you will, you know, you look at Tom Brady and what he's doing. And, and a lot of people ask that question. I just say, you know, he's just playing a position where he can do that. You know, yeah. if I was, if I could go out there and knowing I'm not going to get hit and I'm not going to do this and I'm, they're going to protect me. It's all about the quarterback. And I think if, if, once you understand that part of the game, I think you can have a fun time in this league, but, you know, it, it's just part of the game. They're going to be able to play forever because they take care of their arms and stay in shape. They can play forever now because they don't get hit like they used to back in the day. So, yeah, but, the trenches, you know. you're lucky you don't get the knee torn up every time, twisted, exactly. cut, everything else. So it's mm-hmm. to have played 180 games, again, 1997 to 2009, that's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> line. And so, you know, you eventually retired in 2010, um, nine Pro Bowl selections, seven-time All-Pro, 23 sacks is all you allowed and you were only penalized nine times. Is that correct? Nine times per holding. I mean, I'm sure you held a couple other times during that <laughs> only nine times. That's an amazing number. I know. Right. You know, I tell people all the time, I said, um, um, I just took the refs off the payroll, <laughs> but, no, but no, you know what? I think it's one of those things where, uh, you just, um, you know, you try to want to be, you know, you, you, I tell people all the time, I had some great guys that I could watch playing the game and, you know, you saw their stats, you saw they give up sacks. So you had to go out there. It's almost like you're in a competition with guys. You, you really not have, you know, you're not talking to those guys, but those are the guys you got to beat out. You know, you go to the pro bowl and they only taking three tackles. You got six tackles that are considered all pro tackles. So yeah. you got to try to find ways to say, okay, how do I, uh, uh, get get in front of these guys because these guys are household names so for me personally you know those are the things that you can you you work on when you play the game okay can't give up a sack don't give up penalties don't do this those are the only things that you you know your name don't get called until you get a penalty on you so you try your best not to get your name called during the game yeah you're right people <laughs> don't know offensive linemen until they, they're penalized and then they exactly. hear your name and, and and hear people talk about them and, exactly. and as you said, it was an era with some great offensive linemen too so to make a name for yourself which you certainly did is is amazing and mm-hmm. and after that after your career came a lot of honors and awards the one of them was your jersey number 71 retired at the time just a second one retired right it was steve largent and then walter jones that's it was uh, it was Cortez Kennedy first and then okay. me. So Cortez Kennedy got his and then, you know, it was one of those things where it was like, it was so cool because once I made the decision and I was done playing and they like, as soon as they like, we were tying your jersey. So for me, that's pretty amazing. You know, yeah, that tells me that you did it the right way. That shows you that your team respect you. Uh, so for me, every time I walk in that stadium to see my name, I know, I know what that represents. I know what I have to do, uh, understand all that. So you know, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to, every time you walk in and you see your jersey or people send pictures when they're at the game or they're at any, any event there, to see your number there is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, in the, the ring of honor as well, you had a chance, to, I'm sure, to, to raise a 12th man flag. What, what's that moment like as well from, 
you know, again, from the, the Seattle perspective, it's a big thing to have that person raise that 12th man flag, the 12th man or the, the fans behind the, the team. What was it like in, in that moment? Uh, it's pretty amazing, though. I think uh, it's the, the way that they have it. It's pretty cool. Uh, I think, you know, you get up there with the 300 level fans, it's kind of get pretty wild. Those are uh, different set, you know, like I tell people, there's different types of fans. You got the 300 and then you got the lower boat and you got the ones that, that's a difference. So, but from a standpoint of being a part of that, it's pretty amazing. I've done it so many times. So I'm like, I don't even know if I'm, I think I told him, I said, I'm retired from doing it. I think the last <laughs> one I did was I did for Cortez, you know, when he passed away. And I think, and um, I don't know if I, I think I did it for when Hutch, when Hutch got into the, when Hutch, uh, what's the Hutch got his ring or something, I did it, but it's pretty cool the way they got it set up now. It's a pretty cool setup now. They got it, you know, it, it, back when I did it, it was kind of tight to get up in there, but now they got steps and it's pretty cool. You know, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally scared of heights a little bit. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to roll this tile too much. I fall off the thing, but I think it's a pretty cool thing. I think the fans look forward to it, especially when they bring somebody back that they haven't seen in a while. So I think that's a pretty cool setup. And it's kind of, you know, especially when the team is winning like this, now you start bringing in these types of players that's going to really get the crowd in it because the crowd understands if we're hyped, that's going to help the team. So it's a pretty cool experience. Yeah, and it's great to see so many of those guys stick around the area or come back and still be involved with Seattle. You know, it's just, it's, it's great to see. Uh, and again, it was great to see 2014, you get inducted into the Hall of Fame. First year eligible Tell us about that call when you when you got the call from the Hall of Fame and and, and the emotions maybe that were going through your mind at the time. Uh, it was a pretty cool situation, and you know the, the cool thing about that, you know, it was the game was in uh, New York City, so everything was kind of you know they was taping the the award show and they trying to keep you not telling nobody. So and, and you know you get to the uh, the top fifteen guys that are thinking about going in, and they bring all those guys out to uh, to to the bowl site. And uh, the day that it happened, it was one of those weird things because I had looked at the schedule wrong. And so I thought I had more time. So I, it was me and my son. So I was like, hey, let's go walking around. Let's go out to lunch and stuff like that. But then when I looked at the schedule, again, yeah, like we supposed to be ready about an hour. We literally, like literally when I got the phone call, I was sweating because I was trying to help my son put his tie on, you know, you know, back, you know, in New York City, the, the hotels are not that big anyway. So you think about it, they trying to put all of us in these, and this room was heck so small. So it was just crazy. But I think for me personally, to be able to have my son there to to make the phone call, he was right there uh, to be a part of that. And, you know, the weird thing about it, you know, I literally, you know, you met everybody, like the 15 finalists, and then they break it down to like seven guys. And then the first thing I thought, you know, when I got it, I thought about those guys that didn't get the phone mm -hmm. call. I know that's a weird thing, but I thought about that. Like, man, that's kind of like, wow, you come out here, you get part of the fanfare, and then all of a sudden, boop, you're nothing going to happen. So, but it was, a, it was an amazing moment to, to, you know, especially with my class, like I got an amazing class. So for me to be able to be in there to see those guys on motion, especially like, you know, I, I was first ballot, but then you had a guy like Andre Reed that's been away for like what, seven, eight years. And to see his emotion um, was pretty amazing. You know, I think, uh, and to be able to do it there and, you know, to get that call when Seattle was on the verge of uh, winning that first ever Super Bowl. So to be able to be on the field to see that, was pretty amazing. Does it mean more that it was in your first year? Oh, totally. I think anybody would not say, you know, you always, you know, when you talk about Hall of Fame or people say stuff, the first thing they say, first ballot, you know, that's that's a cool thing to have in the front of it, first ballot Hall of Fame. So I think, you know, I don't think uh, for me personally, I was never pushing towards, I never had a dream of saying I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. I never did that. Never. I wasn't, 
you know, I wasn't into football that much to say, oh, I want to be a Hall of Famer. I think I didn't think about being a Hall of Famer until I went to Cortez Kennedy Shrine and he was like, Walter Jones, you're next. And I was like, what? And that's kind of when it really kind of hit me then. So I kind of started like looking at, OK, when I'm going in, when is this going to happen? So uh, and that's another thing I tell people all the time. People don't know this, that I got in at four years and not five. So because uh, they counted my year that I was injured as a holding year. I'm like, hold up. I wasn't done playing, but they counted that. that I, but I think, you know, they they look at the they look at what's coming ahead. So they probably figure like, okay, Walt is coming up, but we'll have multiple tackles coming up out here. So let's go and get him in there. So I literally got in the Hall of Fame in four years because I literally asked him, I said, hold up. I said, I shouldn't, shouldn't be available to next year. Uh, I would look at when I retired. I retired in 2010. Yeah. So I was counting that as, okay, 15 would be my year, but they were like, oh no, this year. I was like, wow. Well, the year that you was injured, we count that as a holding year. I'm like, oh, okay then, cool. So I got in in four years, not five. So, so there you go. That's something that sets you even further apart than, than some other guys in the other right? <laughs> big, big wall, four years. It only took him to get in there. Yeah. Like you said, you're, you're the third Seahawk with, with Steve Largent, Cortez Kennedy, and then yourself. Let's talk about Cortez Kennedy because I know he had a, a, a lasting impact on you. He was mm-hmm. a veteran when you came in the league. He's on the defensive end, the you know, defensive side. You're on the offensive side. What was that relationship like? Uh, it was good. I think for me personally, I thought it was good because he gave me, he showed me how to be a professional. Uh, it was kind of tough in the beginning, you know, being a rookie. You know, you go through the rookie hazing and stuff like that. But from a standpoint of proving that you can play, I think back then, it was all about what you do on the football field. You earn your respect by what you do on the football field. And I thought Tez was that guy. But once Tez realized that I would go down in that foxhole with him, mm-hmm. I, I, I gained so much respect for him. And, and I started hanging. I literally was like a leech just learning everything because he taught me how to to get to know other people on, on the staff. A lot of times, you know, you play this game and they separate everybody. But nowadays, you know, these guys are getting to know everybody that works the team. It's not just the football players. There's a lot of people that that put a lot of work in to make this work. So I thought Tez did a great job of that. So I got a chance to know a lot of people outside of just football players. I know a lot of the staff that worked upstairs. So he kind of taught me that to get to know those people because those people are people too. And they, they are a big part of what the Seahawks are able to do. So that, that's something that he definitely and, you know, from, you know, when him passing was tough. But, you know, I thought, you know, I, I do a thing called every year I call the 96 check where I try to because Ted was so good at calling you in the randomest times, like during the offseason, like it could be two o'clock in the morning. He'll call you he'd be like, man, what's going on with Ted? He's like, hey, I'm just calling to check in on you, man. See how you're doing. See how your family doing. So for me personally, and then when I went to his funeral and I met other people outside of football, that was the first thing that everybody said. Ted will always check in on you. So I kind of took that as something that I wanted to do. And his remembrance was, you know, do a 96 check for his number and stuff like that. So just to check in, just make it big on that day, you know, tell people to do it all the time. Because, you know, as football players, we try to hide anything that we got going on in our life. We're a very private person. Or even if we get sick or anything, we try not to let people know that. So um, I try to just encourage people to check in on us because we you know we're, we're gladiators. We think we're tough, but you know, from that standpoint with Tez, I always, if I got a mild headache, I tell everybody I'm, I'm not feeling good today, or I got a headache or on this or this. So I don't, I don't hide anything that I've got going through, through, you know, before then, you know, I would not say a word like I'm not, I can't get yeah. sick. I can't do this. But now I understand that, you know, there are people out there that can help you family that can help you. So I always want to let them know what's going on with me. So they'll know if something happened, they know where well, he was saying this and saying that and not, Oh, why he didn't say nothing. Yeah. So I try to inform people. It's okay to tell people how you're feeling or what's going on with you. 
Yeah, it's it's our it's our right to be vulnerable. Like you said, you're yes. gladiators, you're big NFL guys, but it, you know, you're human. Yeah, and as you said, you know, check ninety six. It happens September sixth every, every year that that you mm-hmm. do this. Um, and I know it ends with a very special call as well, right? You, <laughs> it, it ends. You talk to his daughter every year. Uh, every year, you know, I talk to her most of the time a lot. But for me personally, I think it's one of those moments where you know she she's back to what I do, and she thinks it's an amazing thing. So for her, you know, and it's so hard to talk to her because she looks just like Cortez. It's mm-hmm. so it's tough, but she's becoming an amazing young lady, uh, doing great things right now. So uh, you know, I, you know, as a you know, as a I guess you say as a father, uh, somebody that looks after her. But you know, I don't I don't I don't I don't get in her business, but I'm always watching and looking and always there to let her know hey i'm here for you you ever need anything you know because still you have to let young people find their way too though but you just want to let them know that you always got someone if you need someone to call or talk to and you started this is it something that has spread do you see your other teammates or other guys in the nfl that that have done this call and 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 check on people Oh, totally. I think it's a big thing. I think the NFL does a great job of, you know, this year, definitely they did a great job of making sure that everybody got a chance to do it. And, uh, you know, I get, I get multiple calls, emails from a lot of people, you know, I real I didn't realize like I I'm, I'm best friend with Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. And, and he was telling me that he implemented with his, a lot of his uh, celebrity friends, rock star friends, because these, I didn't know it was that big in that profession too, suicide and stuff like that, that we don't check on guys once they're, I guess you say once their light goes out or something like that. So it was something that, you know, and, and the thing about it, at first, when I first started doing, I was just saying players. Then I started saying like family and friends and everything. Now I get people that are not even, you know, just random people say, dude, well, I love this fact because it makes you, because we get so busy in our life anyway. Everybody get busy. We got stuff going on. And then all of a sudden you don't think about it. And, you know, just calling someone. I have I have guys from years ago that I called that come up to me and say, hey, well, I didn't tell you what you, I, got, I had going on, but I definitely, that call really changed, you know, my trajectory of what was going on because you always think that you're in a situation where don't nobody want to hear your problem. So, you know, and I always tell them, I say, if I can't help you, I definitely will make some phone calls to try to figure out how can I help you. So for me, I think it's one of those things where, it just, it just, just make people just slow down for a little bit and kind of check on those people that you haven't heard from in a while. Yeah, I think mental health has become, you know, on the forefront of people's discussions anymore these days, which is, which is great, and especially, you know, in athletics and and, and athletes when they can talk about that, I think it opens doors for for other people to do so as well. So I, I commend you for for what you've done, what you're doing uh, on that uh, side of things. I love that you just threw in the. The, the Pearl Jam reference, like, oh, no big deal. Me, Mike, Mike, <laughs> just buddies, right? Your, your best friend is just, you know, one of the lead guys at Pearl Jam. I know, right? It, it's, it's one of those things where I met them a long time ago, and it was pretty cool to meet them. I don't know a lot of their music, but just to get to know them and, you know, just hang out with them, they're pretty cool. You know, they you see the same determination with those guys, too. They put the work in, and they put the time in, so, and they craft, so it's pretty cool to see that part, you know. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, they're the Seattle guys. So, I mean, why Seattle for you? Again, you grew up in Aliceville, Alabama, a lot of family there, played in, in Seattle. Obviously, you found a home there. Why, why has that continued to be your home? You know, I think the opportunities are better for me here just on a standpoint. You know, I do a fifth quarter here. I do that. I've been doing that now for five years. I enjoy it. Uh, not looking for anything else. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to go like, I'm like, no. I said, I talked to a lot of guys from like ESPN and stuff. That's a lot of work, you know. You know, as soon as it's over on Sunday, you're back to 
getting ready for the next week. So it's a nonstop process. I'm not saying I couldn't do it if the, if the situation presents itself, but I'm really enjoying where I'm at. I tell people all the time, I'm pretty at peace where I'm at in my life. Uh, and I chose Seattle because my kids love it here. Uh, like I say, I went through a divorce probably about 10 years ago. And so I was trying to see how I was going to handle it because I had a house in Alabama where my kids wanted to stay here. So my kids started playing sports. And I was just going back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, man, I said, this thing, I can't do this. So I just decided, okay, I'm going to sell my house and I'm going to move back to Seattle. And so when I moved back out here to Seattle, uh, and then opportunities to start, like I say, the fifth quarter things just happened just out of a whim. I met them in the, in the elevator one day and I was like, hey, I heard y'all looking for a new co-host. And they're like, you're in Seattle, you're living full time. I said, yes. And so I went in for an interview and everything the rest of history has been what now i'm going in my with my fifth year doing this with paul sylvie so it's pretty cool you know he's you know i guess he has something me now as being a co-host with him now but it's been fun you know uh i think people enjoy what i do on there you know it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's you know you can watch the game and then go on talk and be you know be be you know i think you give a, a player's perspective that you know it's not about x's and o's it's just about you know i try to ask questions that I think fans want to know about players. So it's been fun just getting to know these guys in a, in a different light. And I'm sure then, but then, like I say, sorry about that, but saying like, watch you see, I, I love the city. I, for yeah. me personally, it's great for big boys. The, the weather is great. You know, you have a great <laughs> time, but you know, me now I enjoy this time of the year because, you know, I tell people all the time, I say the sun hibernates, so you don't see it a lot, but I enjoy the coolness and stuff like that. So that's why I love Seattle. And like I say, I've been here for 23 years, so that's the only thing I know. So I don't even know if I could go back home to live. I think it's too slow for me now. So well, you said you're big boys. So the hot, the, the humidity in the South, I don't know if you can take it anymore. <laughs> I can take it just a little bit. Uh, you know what? I went down to Florida last year for like two months. And, you know, like up here, you deal with authorized and stuff. And literally, I literally was thinking about it for a second. Like, man, I might have to find me a place warm during the offseason. Because literally, I was talking to my son. I said, man, I'm down here. I said, I feel like I can do a couple sets. I said, you know, you know, you get down that heat, your body lubricates, and it just feels so. And like, I tell all my friends, I say, I totally get it why y'all like to be in the hot, you know. But I said, I'm a four-season type guy. You know, I want to see the four seasons. I, I want to put my hoodie on in the fall, in the winter. You know, I don't want to, I was down there one year for Thanksgiving, like in the mall with slides on, like, this just feels weird. So, but I guess I could get used to it if that's something that becomes of me, but I don't know yet. Not now. So I love Seattle. <laughs> well, again, you're following this team. So I got to ask you about this team. Six, you know, a great start for them in first place in the NFC West. Nobody envisioned this. I don't think maybe internally they did, but uh, what's your takeaway? Why is this team having the success that they are right now? I think uh, Pete is back where he was before in the beginning, you know, where you got guys, you know, even though, you know, you have some great guys to come through there that was, you know, you got to remember those great guys had chips on their shoulders too, though. So I think for Pete, I think Pete plays into that well, where you get these guys that thought that they was going to be this or that, and then they don't. And then you get them here and then you get them playing with a chip on their shoulder. And then I think for, for a lot of kids here, you know, these kids have grown up watching Seattle and, you know, you think about these kids are rookies. So you got to think about, but 2014, these kids were just getting into football. So you got to think about at that point, Seattle was right there in the mix of uh, every other year, you know, after, especially, you know, right there in the cusp of when they won it the year after, you know, the second year they was back in the Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying? So they was contenders for about a four-year period there where they was everything, you know, you had the the Legion of Boom. So the, all those guys that are playing for Seattle, they saw that. So they know the standard set. They know how that can be something great right now. And so you get all these young guys that are 
buying in, like they say, or that they didn't figure it out. You know, I felt like in the beginning that, you know, the defense was kind of like not playing. It was just read, trying to figure things out and not just playing football. And I felt like they now is like, it's going to click ever since they signed Bruce Irvin. I don't know if he kind of told them like, these guys are not playing. They just, they thinking too much. So, and then now you just start changing that defense. You know, the offense is what it is, what Pete wanted to be. And I think Geno fits that mold perfectly for what Pete wants to do with his quarterback, you know, no turnovers, protect the football, play good defense. And I think once you get a team to buy into that and now you're seeing the success of that, that's all that they're going to do is just get better. And every game they play in is going to get confidence, confidence. And then, you know, they're going to start, you know, still to now you, you look at the game this weekend, you know, they still are underdog. You're like, are you serious? But I get why it's Tom Brady and what Tom Brady was able to do to the Rams, you know? So I get, I get the betting game. I get what they're thinking, but you know, I, I saw a lot of posts where it's a big, it's a big, it's a big Seahawk falling over there in Germany yeah. right now. So I think that's going to be a great turnout, but I, I've been telling people that for the last couple of years that internationally Seattle is pretty big. You know, when I went out to London, it was big. And I knew, I know a couple of people from Germany, and there, you know, because they, I don't know why Seattle was a team that they all latched to, but it's its big over there. So I'm thinking it's going to be a big Seahawk turnout for this game. But still, you have to, we have to beat Tom Brady. You know, he's, you know, you saw that game last week. You saw the intensity that he played with in that last drive. So it's going to be tough. But I think this team here is built. I think they, you know, I think they, you know, you still want to play against the best. So, you know, you, you, you want to play against those guys. You want to see what you, you know, you know, Tom's going to make you think and make you work. So I think it's going to be a fun, I think it's going to be a great 930 game, uh, a 630 in the morning <laughs> yeah. game. I think it's going to be one of those games that is going to be probably the highlight of the NFL week. But it's the fact that it's so early, but I think it's going to be cool for me. I go and get it done and be done by 10 o'clock. So I think it's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, see, I think Tom Brady's going to take it as a challenge. As you said, you got into the Hall of Fame in four years. He's going to try to get in in, in three years, I bet you. Uh, you know what? I was telling somebody that I said, with Tom, with his age, and he's going to tend to keep playing. I said, he might get somewhere where they might, as soon as he retired, they're like, okay, you're in the Hall of Fame <laughs> next year. You, we're not going to wait till you get another five years. You'll be 55, 60 years. Like, you think about it now, he's 45. He's talking about playing for another two, three years. You know, he could be easily in his late 50s before he get into the Hall of Fame. That'll be crazy. Well, it certainly is. And uh, Walter, I appreciate your time today. How, how can people follow you? People that, that uh, again, are CLC Hunt fans or not, you know, how can they follow you? Kind of what oh, you're doing? They can follow me on, well. my, uh, on my Instagram. My Instagram is uh, BigWalt71, and it's the same as Twitter. Uh, they can follow me. That's my Snapchat. That's all my socials at BigWalt71. So uh, uh, any of those uh, socials you can find me on, uh, hit me up, uh, follow me. Uh, and check out, I got a clothing brand called Best Ever Do It, uh, B2DI.com. Go check that out. I got t-shirts, I got hats, I got hoodies, I got short stuff. So go check it out, uh, Best Ever Do It. It's all about being the best version of yourself every time you step out the door. And is there anything on Check 96 that people can follow up on and, and find uh, information nothing, on that? No, just always check in. You know, I, I, it's, I know it's 96 Check and it's always on September 6th, but it's all about, you know, doing it anytime. So, you know, it's not about, you know, doing it on that date. It's all about checking in on your friends and family. So go and check in on your friend and family. Those ones that you haven't talked to in a while or the ones that you haven't heard from in a while. So check in on your family and friends. Great message. We'll, we'll end it there. Walter, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it, man. Well, again, my thanks to Walter Jones. Again, the second time we had to do that because of technical issues the first time and uh, great uh, to allow us to have his time once again. So we appreciate him and also Shelly Schmidt, his agent, who helped arrange that. 
And once again, our thanks to CLNS Media Network, the new group that we're partnered with. Be sure to check out their website and see what other podcasts they have out there. Some great content, not just in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. But we do appreciate you joining us here today. As always, we remind you to like and subscribe our episodes and another guest in the books, episode number 48 with Walter Jones. We'll have another great one coming up as we're approaching the countdowns on to 50. Episode number 49 comes your way next week. Hope you'll join us for that. Until then, thanks for joining us in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day, everybody.